Well, good evening, Knox Pasadena. It's so good to be with you this evening. And apologies once more for any of the technical difficulties that we had uh, during our live stream this morning. This is a recording of the sermon that I delivered for our service on July 5th, 2020. So I hope that it encourages you in some small way as we continue to think about what does it mean to tend for the land and tend to creation. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, let the words of your servant's mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer, through Christ. Amen. Before diving into the sermon proper, I think it's only right you know who this strange person is now being beamed directly into your homes. As Pastor Ali mentioned, my name is Phil King. I originally hail from the Emerald Isle, or Ireland, currently serving as Knox's pastoral apprentice, where I'm fulfilling one of the last remaining requirements I have for my Master's of Divinity at Fuller. And I want to begin by acknowledging and recognizing what a truly life-giving experience it has been to live and serve you and the rest of the congregation here at Knox. And I look forward to building more relationships over the coming weeks. Last week, Pastor Ali spoke about what it means for humanity to operate and live into God's call to hold dominion over creation. There, she utilized the words of a theologian called Ellen Davis, who talks about dominion as exercising skilled mastery. Yet, as Pastor Ali alluded to, it's not as if the creation accounts assume that there's only one person to whom this command is given. No, we must remember that this command is given to humanity. There is a collective involved in these passages. It's not just about what an individual does in caring for creation, but indeed what the whole of humanity does. Dr. Willie Jennings, a professor of theology at Yale Divinity School, recounts a time when one day he was out, de- out in his garden as a child. And in the process of tending to the plants, his mother invited him to kneel beside her and put his hands in the soil, in the dirt, to feel it between his fingers. The dirt, after all, is the same into which God breathed our very life. Humanity, so it seems, holds a very special connection to the land upon which we depend. But as Dr. Jennings's anecdote implies, the connection to the land also entails a relationship to those around us. Despite the uncertainty and frustration of our current global and local circumstances, I have heard more and more people articulate a longing to be connected to each other and in ways that don't rely on a mediating technology, no offense, Zoom or Skype. So the question for today is what relationship, what responsibility do we encounter when we talk about caring for the earth and for one another? Drawing on the work of poet and author Wendell Berry, what is the connection between community and commonplace? Now, it isn't long after reading through the Old Testament that we see the significance of land and creation beyond the pale of the creation stories. There are countless passages that you could choose to examine that might reveal the importance of how seeing our care for creation ties into care for others. 
Leviticus 23, which was read to us this morning, isn't the final word on these matters, but I think it is an important word and one worth taking the time to look at. Part of the significance comes from where we find Leviticus in the Old Testament. After fleeing Egypt in the Exodus, the God of Israel begins to lay out a covenantal relationship with the nation and people of Israel. Yet, almost as soon as they leave, we find in chapters and escapades such as those recounted in Exodus 32, that Israel isn't living up to that relationship. You might remember this as being the story of the golden calf. This broken relationship is summed up by looking at the very first verse in Leviticus. Chapter 1, verse 1, which reads, The Lord summoned Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Even Moses, the great prophet of Israel, cannot enter God's holy presence. One can therefore read Leviticus as spelling out what it means for Israel to live not only in covenant relationship with their God, but specifically in recognition of God's holiness, God's set-apartness. And as prophets like Isaiah point out in chapter 2 of the book that bears their name, this isn't something that will come as a flash in the pan for Israel. No, it will instead mark the relationship between God and God's people, and more specifically, the land in which they reside. And it's this context that provides some clues as to how Leviticus 23 paints a picture of community and commonplace. Here in this passage, we see just one brief example of what it means to regard and honor God for who God is and for what God has done. In this case, Leviticus speaks to specific rituals that honor the God who set aside time for Israel to keep holy. They are meant to celebrate the uniqueness and holiness both of the God who appoints these set-apart times and the occasions themselves. We have the sense at Knox, don't we, and more likely at a state and a national and an international level, that the times we are now living in are somewhat set apart as well. Many of us have probably heard that we are currently living through a chapter of a history textbook yet to be written by future generations. But what is also apparent is that these days aren't exactly what we'd call good or worth celebrating. Unlike the people in Leviticus, there isn't a reasonable explanation as to what acknowledging these times will bring about. Yet, if Leviticus and the rest of Scripture does affirm anything, it is that this holy celebration is meant to be in the context of creation, of employing skilled mastery, and of doing so for the benefit of something, someone, or others greater than ourselves. This is not just the promotion and utilization of some abstract or ethereal substance, something that exists only in the mind. No, God decrees the very creation attested to in Genesis as the stuff for these offerings and sacrifices. God seeks the produce from Israel's work as the gifts which acknowledge God's holiness and celebrate these appointed times. God implores the people to take rest from job-related work to honor the work of creation and exodus. Israel honors God in giving back and offering as gift the right responsibility 
and use of God's creation, their exercise of skilled mastery. It's no coincidence, at least to my mind, that the kind of skill talked about in Isaiah chapter 2 about sores being bent into plowshares directly refers to a trajectory towards caring for creation. What was once made for war is now meant for the tending of the land. What it means to honor the God of holiness, so it seems, remains very much tied up with caring for creation. And moreover, this caring for creation directly entails care for the other. In Isaiah 2, for example, the prophet speaks of a time when people no longer train for war, within the same breath as talking about the transformation of swords into plowshares. Caring for creation, whether directly or indirectly, will entail making a conscious choice to care for the community in which we find ourselves. We are not meant for conflict or for war. We are meant for tending and caring and generosity. Our passage from Leviticus makes this plain too. In verses 21 and 22, when the author describes how the Israelites, in recognition of God's holiness, should leave a portion of their produce, their land, their fields for others, specifically the poor and the immigrant, to glean as their harvest. Caring for the land means caring for it in a way that recognizes and cares for those around us. And in the scriptures, it seemed clear that the care for others does not just mean caring for those like us, in the same status and class, but those who quite literally live on the margins of society, live on the margins of our fields, who depend on the margins of the land that we hold, that we dwell upon. It is, in fact, a grand scope how caring for the land means turning it into a commonplace for all community. And the scope of this community is wider even still if we read our text this morning. Because the author at times appears at pains to make sure that readers understand the importance of place, such that these rituals, these festivals, these tangible demonstrations of acknowledging God and God's holiness apply wherever Israel finds itself. No wonder that the prophet Amos speaks about the land to which God will plant Israel in chapter 9 of the book that bears their name, and furthermore, how God continues to call Israel to tend for creation by exercising that skilled mastery over the land, planting fields and cultivating vineyards. Moreover, Leviticus goes to great lengths to talk about the scope of such treatment as referring specifically to people throughout future generations. Israel is not to perform these rituals for themselves only, nor will these rituals and practices pertain only to the people of Israel in the here and now. No, they are for those that will come after them, those that they may never see. If Israel stood as the people of God and the church continues this lineage by manifesting as the body of Christ, then it's hard to see how we in the 21st century can escape the claim this text makes on our lives. What we do with our land matters, 
Yesterday, for example, we celebrated a day traditionally known as the day that the Americas obtained their self-independence. We acknowledge the celebration of this, quote, land of the free. Yet as we turn our gaze to screens and streets once more, where countless communities across generations call for justice and freedom from the oppression of systems, big and small, to what extent can we call this land free? And to what extent can we say that we care for this land? A land that's been snatched away from those who lived here long before we ever did. And in mistreating it, we mistreat and malign communities and generations who have historically been looked down upon, who have remained on the margins. Flint, Michigan, for example, which has receded from much of the national news coverage serves as a poignant example of this claim. The claim that scripture lays out is that we, the people of God, are to bear witness to the need, joy, and work of caring for creation. As we continue to, quote, eke out a living by taking from the land without caring for it with gentleness, friends, we find ourselves with much work to do. We find ourselves wondering in the vein of that theologian that we all know and love, the Apostle Paul, how long with the earth itself will we groan as if in the pains of childbirth for the coming of its Redeemer and for the healer of its wounds? And the scriptures make it clear to acknowledge God's holiness will in some ways mean loving our neighbor as ourselves by and in caring for creation for the land in which we dwell upon and upon which we depend. We do this not only for our sakes, but for the lives of others. Lives that are right here in front of us and lives that span across time and space. Lives that we may never touch or feel or see, but who will, by God's grace and in God's time, feel the same dirt between their fingers as we do today. We do this so that, in the words of Deuteronomy 6, it may go well with us into the land which God gave Israel and into the whole world God has given us. I have a friend of mine who exemplifies this claim so well, what we've been talking about so well. I want to close with this. She's a colleague in Fuller, a fellow student, and she's soon to join the residential community that I myself have lived at for a couple of years now at this point. And before we ever even interviewed her, before we ever even accepted an application from her, one of the things that she committed to was to tend to our community garden. She hasn't even moved in yet, and she's already set to work. She herself will say that this work is an act of worship acknowledging and putting into practice her faith in God. And in doing so, perhaps in a very small way, she will provide both a means of connection and some small amount of produce, some result, some good to be shared within our community. She does this work of tending to basil and mint in the scorching heat of the California summer, to acknowledge who God is, the gift of the land, and the blessing it is for her community. In big and small ways, then, friends, 
let us each receive the gift of caring for this common place we call land, knowing that in doing so we acknowledge and honor the God who created it and who gives us community to enjoy its harvest and care for its growth. Let us pray. Arouse in us a new compassion, O Lord, a new willingness to change, a new excitement to foster community, a new zeal for establishing your peace, a new understanding of the connectedness of all things, a new appreciation of the gift of earth. As we raise up the next generation and live as an example for them, let generosity and kindness to and with all creation be our hallmarks. Let them know us by our love. Let our young ones know that our arms are wide and our hearts are open to them and to all whom you love, all whom you call to care for creation, all whom inhabit this commonplace and community. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.